Okay. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. In this episode, we try to figure out what's wrong with the Winnipeg Jets with Murata Tesh of The Athletic. We also check in with Colton Lott ahead of the start of the Canadian Mixed Doubles Curling Championship in Sudbury, Ontario. That's coming up on the podcast. As we turn our attention to the Winnipeg Jets and welcome in friend of the show, regular contributor to Jets coverage on CGOB, Murat Atesh. And Murat, I guess the, the puzzle we're trying to solve is the Jets scoring woes. Is it a simple fix or is this something that's been brewing for a while? Yeah, great question. Um, with Winnipeg being shut out two out of the last three games, it's it's definitely on the minds of a lot of people. Um, I do want to put things into some perspective. In their last 10 games, they've got 28 goals in that time, 2.8 goals per game. It's close to average. It's not good enough, but it's certainly not as bad as this most recent stretch of games feels. That said, um, I would say that the issues with what's happened recently is you're seeing this trend where Winnipeg gets scored on first just about all of the time. It's been nine times out of the last 10 games. That's quite the trend going on right now. And what teams have learned down the stretch against the Winnipeg Jets is if they collapse five guys into the middle of the ice, they protect the house, they protect the slot, um, they're willing to block shots. Well, the Jets aren't penetrating to those middle, middle areas of the ice particularly well. You get some cycling, you get some passes to the point. And yeah, you're getting some shots from distance. They're getting a lot of shot quantity. But other than a few deflections and some misfires and things like that, they're not really getting the grade A's by the volume that you'd hope from the Jets. Part of that is the power play, which had a brief moment of competency last weekend, but it seems to be back on hard times again. What's the problem with this power play? Is it personnel? Is it system? What are we looking at here? Yeah, well said. Part of that's the power play, an enormous part of the power play. It should have been the first thing I said because special teams has been a battle. Winnipeg has lost thoroughly for a stretch here. Um, If I knew how to fix it myself, I would be a wealthier person. But it's easy to watch the power play look so decidedly slow. Um, It's as if it's all on the perimeter. There's no real quickness to it, the assertiveness that might open up a seam, whether it's players moving their feet faster, moving the puck faster. Um, It seems as though defenses or defensive schemes can just sit back, wait, and uh, more or less the middle of the ice is protected. There has been some puck luck. You know, you can imagine Mark Scheifele getting robbed on the doorstep. You can find some posts. But you often see the Jets going through an entire power play without a shot or with only one shot. Um, You go through the most recent game, and despite all the power plays, three and a half minutes of power play time each, the only shot between Scheifele and Connor was the one that Connor took with Hellebuck pulled towards the end of the game. And I think that's what's happening because they move so slowly around the outside of the zone that they're not able to open things up nor are they willing to just blast away and blast away and make some of the shot blockers second-guess themselves. So do they need to just try new people on the power play to, to maybe try to spruce things up? I know they moved Ehlers to the top unit, but that, didn't, that seemed to solve their zone entry issues, but little more. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's one of the things that you know, folks like me have been advocating for for a while, um, that top power play. You don't often get the face-off one to start, so Winnipeg is you know, going back into its own zone and having to, to navigate his own entry a lot of the time. Winnipeg's not a particularly good power play face-off team. 
Um, so you promote Ehlers and you watch that exact play happen. He rushes the puck up the ice and he seems to be able to get the zone at will. Winnipeg's not struggling to get across the blue line anymore, but it's still slow when it gets there. And then in the most recent couple of games, you realize no matter who you are, whichever star player it is, great players who have so much capability, but they're, let, they're making plays that kill the power play. They're letting pucks bounce off their stick or over their stick. They don't keep the puck in at the line. Passes get missed. Um, and so you're watching even Ehlers, despite those zone entries that he's had such success with, he's making giveaways. Um, it's so disjointed and disconnected. I don't know that the Jets are built and, and so loaded with players that, you know, that they can throw many more options in after Ehlers or perhaps Pierre-Luc Dubois now returned from injury. Um, you know, I, I think it's on the guys that do get those jobs to, um, to figure out how to play with more urgency and with more speed. And if when you hear them talk, they acknowledge it. They just haven't been able to actually do it when they get the chance. So looking at what we have here in a three-way race that is seemingly full of teams that don't want to get the eighth seed. I'm not sure if that's oversimplifying things, but Nashville got pummeled yesterday. Roman Yossi might be out. Calgary tonight in, in L.A. And then, of course, the Jets have the driver's seat. That's as, Despite everything, they still control their own destiny. So should there be optimism because of that? Well, honestly, yes. I mean, if you if you look at the odds, if you go that, that route or just try to, you know, play the who plays against whom when game, Winnipeg is in control of its destiny. They have a four-point uh, four lead on Calgary, a five-point lead on Nashville, one game in hand Calgary has over Winnipeg. Okay, that's fine because they play against each other. So Winnipeg wins that. That just about goes away. That opportunity goes away. Jets beat Nashville over the weekend. They play one more time as well. Winnipeg just needs to control what it can control, win the games that it should win, and it should be able to keep the, that competition at bay. So that's a source for optimism. If you're looking for other reasons, even though – um, Winnipeg has truly slid and you know over the last two months they have a bottom 10 le- record in the league they're not winning their power play is is um, is not working whatsoever some of the underlying numbers have been closer to average more of a more of a bubble team's quality instead of one that's that should be losing almost all of the time like they kind of have so there are reasons um, if you believe Connor Hellebuck has turned the corner his goals against, um, you know, inflated for a couple of weeks there, and he's had a couple of better games of late. It's not as though this is a lottery team, um, the Winnipeg Jets, despite how often they've lost of late. They just have to have the resilience to stick it out, stick it around, or stick around and, and continue to play their game. Looking back at the start of the season now, with the benefit of hindsight, it's still a smallish sample size, I get that, but they were in first place in the West and fighting for first for a while. Is that a fluke? I don't think it was all of the way a fluke because by eye, there was, there were stretches of games in a row where you'd see them commit to the way that Rick bonus was asking them to play. And one of the, one of the things that you can, you know, that I use as a proxy when watching the Jets just to say, are they on tonight is how much back pressure are they getting from their forwards and how many of the other teams breakouts do they stuff? whether that's in the offensive zone, the other team's trying to make a pass that gets knocked down, or 
you know, if there's such good back pressure from Winnipeg's forwards that by the time the other team gets to Winnipeg's blue line, the Jets D can step up and turn that around. Because when that's happening, first of all, less time in Winnipeg's end. Second, Winnipeg gets chances in transition and is able to spend more time on, on offense. So that's a big deal to me. The Jets were great at that against Nashville on the weekend. It was a really effective game on that front. Um, but you haven't seen a lot of that of late compared to what it looked like early on when it seemed like everybody was praising bonus all of the time. Um, the one area where I'd say that there's room to look back and th- think that, hey, this, there are some, there's some inflation to how good Winnipeg was is the number of one-goal games they were winning, whether that was overtime, which is kind of a coin flip. It's certainly not representative of what playoff hockey will look like. There's no three-on-three overtime in the playoffs. You can pick it apart a little bit, but I think the quality of play was uh, was a little bit more consistent at that time too. So the defensive side of things, this team that was craving that accountability and that structure and told us about it a number of times over the start of the season, has the system not worked in your mind when you see what's happened defensively? Is it just players not buying in like they were at the start of the season? I think there's some of that. I really do. Because, you know, at the start of the season, even during games where Winnipeg lost, you could go through some of the video and you could see some of Winnipeg's just star forwards. The guy that guys that we associate with scoring goals, maybe not great defense like Mark Shifley or Kyle Connor. You could go through video. Nick Ehlers would be in that group as well. You could go through video and see, okay, the Jets are trying to break out Somebody makes a turnover. Where is everybody and what do they do next? And at that time, you saw a lot of those guys. And I use Shifley as the most positive example, where even at the end of a long shift, he'd dig in, he'd slam on the brakes, he'd try to get back on the right side of his guy. And because he wasn't in the neutral zone chasing a pass down, hoping for the best, um, he was largely in, in good spots a lot of the time at that point. And um, in this last stretch, I think that that's gone. Um, you see a lot more chaos and panic i would say probably in shifley's game kyle connor has been a pretty bad offender for that too for for a lot of years but he's not outscoring his problems where there's moments like what led to their benching i guess against carolina where both of those guys are in the neutral zone and the play's still happening in the jets end and that just can't happen that's not good enough from from two players who are counted on to lead now this might be a, a bit of a deep end question but right now would it be better for this team long-term to make or miss the playoffs? <laughs> I understand the question because the theory is if they miss the playoffs, they have to make changes. And systemically, things aren't quite good enough. The core is a bubble team again and struggling again. And you see, like I just you know mentioned, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley. Um, well, Blake Wheeler hasn't scored in 17 games. The, the, all of the guys that you would count on, that management bet on, aren't delivering like you would hope that they would deliver. So if they miss the playoffs, doesn't that mean you've got to tear it down or there's, there's got to be moves that are so substantial it's good for the Jets in the long run? And I get that. My argument is no matter what happens, there need to be those changes because I look at that 2024 free agency period where right now, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, Connor Hallibuck could be a free agent. Mark Scheifele could be a free agent. Wheeler as well. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois as well. I think his future is uh, likely to be elsewhere. And all of those decisions for the Winnipeg Jets have to happen this summer, uh, whether you're keep keeping these guys around or, or looking at moves. And I don't think that, you know, unless they go on a tremendous run, I don't think that squeaking into the playoffs and then maybe going down in the first round is, 
you know, any more impressive or any more reason that you want to be looking at them, them as a long-term solution um, than, than missing the playoffs outright. That's my opinion on it. Fair enough. I just want to touch on something on The Athletic that I looked at today before I let you go, and that's Dom Lecician's uh, player cards, which are very interesting peaks inside uh, his his way of analyzing the game. And they have something, for those who don't know, where they judge the market value of the player based on his performance. And most of the Jets are offering surplus value to their contract. Neil Pionk's contract value was listed as league minimum. I, I couldn't help but notice that. What does that say about his play this year? And, and are are we to say that oh his defending is that bad that it's or is this just one person's look at his model and how it projects for Neil Pionk's game? Yeah, I mean the the problem if you're advocating for Pionk's quality of play is that most models show similar things. Maybe not as stark in terms of hey he should make league minimum based on his play this year. That's you know that's a unique Dom Lucician thing, but the amount of chances the teams are getting with Pionk on the ice this year is, is inordinate. It's really quite high. Um, and it seems to be no matter which partner he plays with, that partner plays better without Pionk beside him. Um, you know, I've wondered if he's hurt. I know last year at this time, he was playing through a foot injury. He didn't name until the exit interviews. And that was the reason he didn't go to the worlds was he needed time to recuperate. I don't think he's particularly mobile. And I think his confidence is, is hurting as well because yeah, those results are real. There are so many chances against. You could see the giveaways over the weekend, and that's not a brand new thing. That's been plaguing Pionk's game for most of the season. So should he play? I mean, <laughs> I'm speculating on the injury, uh, so there's that. I mean, if he is hurt, and that's an, that's an explanation, and that's a big if, I want to be clear, then absolutely he should not be playing because, I mean, you want the mobile quality version of him that you got about two years ago. Um, and if it is, everything's fine. And, you know, this is just the level at which he is playing, then that's a tougher decision for the coaches. But I still think that, you know, with all that accountability that you mentioned earlier, you know, you've gotten some great games out of, uh, well, Dylan Sandberg's in the lineup almost as a regular now, but you've gotten quality out of Kyle Capobianco as well. Uh, Logan Stanley to a degree. And, you know, we saw Nate Schmidt get benched for a game not too long ago. He came back with a, a bit more vigor uh, you know, I don't think that that would be a wrong thing to do with Pionk's quality of play either. All right, things to chew on as we go through the home stretch here. Murat, thanks for your time as always, and we'll see you at the rink tomorrow. Thank you, Christian. Now, many of the top players in the country will open play tomorrow at the Canadian Mixed Doubles Curling Championship in Sudbury. First draw, 5 p.m. Heading the field will be the number one team in the Canadian Mixed Doubles rankings, which is Jocelyn Peterman and Brett Gallant in pursuit of their third Canadian Mixed Doubles crown after wins in 2016 and 19. 32-team field split into four pools of eight, featuring 13 provincial territorial champs alongside 19 teams that qualified through the CMDR. Teams play a seven-game round robin within their pools Tuesday through Friday. 12 teams advance to the single knockout playoffs, which begins Saturday. Four pool winners will get buys directly into the quarterfinals, which will take place Saturday night. The teams with the next eight best records overall, regardless of the pool they're in, will be matched up in the playoff opener at 1 p.m. Saturday. Semifinals, 9 a.m. Sunday. Gold medal, 1 p.m. Sunday. This, these times are all Eastern time, so noon Central time on Sunday. No tiebreakers. All ties broken on uh, head-to-head results, and if that doesn't fix it, then last shot draws will be determined. So one team representing Manitoba, that's it. And that is the lots 
Colton and Kadriana, who won the Manitoba title last month, continuing their quest to win a gold medal. They've come very close before. 2018, lost in the final to Laura Walker and Kirk Myers when Kadriana was not yet 19. And 2021, they lost to Kerry Anderson and Brad Gushu in the Calgary bubble. Also won bronze in 2019. They are pretty good. And to preview their shot at a national title, I caught up with Colton this afternoon while they waited to check into their hotel in Sudbury. Feeling good. Both Kadriana and I feeling really good. So uh, definitely, uh, we, do, we haven't been able to get out much this season. Uh, just with our busy schedules, but uh, but being able to yeah play in uh, the provincials there was our first event and and to win it and represent Manitoba we're super excited and and can't wait to get out there this week. So there's a big difference between this tournament and something like the Briar where there's three wildcard teams and this there's all the provincial champions, but there's a total of 32 teams in this field, so a bunch of people get in whether they win their provinces or not. Is there a difference though for you being able to win your province first before going to this tournament? Yeah, like I I, I think so because like like I said, we didn't uh, that was our first bond spiel this year as a team, but uh, but it, it gives us it gives us that momentum going going into this and. And we're always proud to be wearing that buffalo on our back and, and do the best for Manitoba at that Nationals year. This is an event that you've had some success at before. Uh, how do you feel you stack up against the competition? I, I think we stack up pretty good. We know, we know lots of the teams and uh, we know what they're capable of. So, and we know what we're capable of. So if I, we bring our A game this week, I can... I can see some good good things happening in the end here for us. But uh, just got to stay strong and power through it. So take us through how uh, how busy your week upcoming is going to be. Well, today, <laughs> nice nice early morning, flight into Toronto and drove out here to Sudbury. Just got here probably about a couple hours ago. Um, but the next, yeah, next, like tomorrow we, we, have, uh, we have our practice practice at the arena and then we play uh, I believe later and then uh, and then we just start playing two game days leading up to the weekend so it'll be just lots of uh, lots of rest between those games and uh, and then gearing up for when we're when we're uh, about to play and being ready are you seated at this tournament yes yeah, so everything everybody seated uh, through Canadian mixed doubles ranking points, and uh, and this, yeah, it goes back to like we haven't played much this year, so we we got seated pretty low. So uh, yeah, because there are only points from provincials, so we're in pool D, I believe. Yes, and uh, and yeah, no, our our pool's tough. We uh, our first game is actually against uh, John Epping and Lisa Weagle, so. It'll be a nice, fiery start out of the gate here. How do you get ready for a mixed doubles event? And this goes for a lot of the people in this who have competed recently at the Briar or the Scotties, but is there a, a, a transition in how your practice works from going from a Briar, which ended just over a week ago, to this tournament that starts tomorrow? Yeah, it's... Yeah, definitely, definitely... Uh, Gave myself a good two to three days there last week after the briar and and uh, and then after those few days, Kadrian and I really put our focus to uh, to this upcoming week and 
and uh, getting some practice in, just kind of getting getting rocks set up in practice, like mixed doubles, and, and just getting that finesse going again. Not not that it's ever gone. It's just uh, just getting back into that uh, mixed doubles kind of routine. Because it is obviously different going from throwing second stones on a four-person team to the what you do in a mixed doubles, right? What's the biggest yeah, difference? No, for sure. Uh, I would say the biggest difference between the two, I would say would be for myself, I throw three rocks. So it's, so it's one extra stone and, and, uh, and then another difference is just, uh, the pace of play. It's, uh, it's very fast and, uh, and there's a lot that can happen in, in such a short period of time. How would you say the sweeping differs? Um, I, I don't think it's too much different. Like, like, uh, in men's play, I actually like, technically I sweep one less stone. So the way Kadrian and I work here is, uh, she's, she's either holding the broom or when I hold the broom for her, I still run out and sweep the, sweep the rock. So I'm sweeping all five stones where compared to the men's game, I'm sweeping six. So I'm actually sweeping one last stone, but, uh, but still, like it's you're sweeping by yourself too, so it's I don't know. Sometimes it's in the back of your mind that you gotta you're you're always trying to give it your all, but it's just like okay, well it's only just me, so I gotta gotta really bear down. But uh, but no, it's it's pretty similar, other than yeah, the one one less rock. Looking back at the briar, having a week now since it happened, how do you? Re- think you played and how would you characterize the week for your team uh looking back on it now like uh, obviously it was bitter bittersweet when it happened and when we lost the final there it's uh not the way we wanted to finish but uh but yeah looking looking back at it now like it was a phenomenal week we 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 all gave it our all all out there on the ice and and left everything out there and uh and really really came together it was it was a very uh it was a very uh emotional and and just exciting week to be able to play with those guys and and uh i i loved every minute of it and i'm sure i, I talked to matt after the event last week and nothing but pride and nothing but looking forward to what should be a great quad for your team. Is that how you feel too? Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm curious as well, about the dynamic of switching to mixed doubles here and when did you decide that, you know what, mixed doubles is something I think I could be pretty good at here. Yeah, no, I like, you know what? Uh, and there's stories when, when Kadrian and I first started, but uh, that's yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to. Uh, when we first got going there in 2018, we like it was we played in a, a mixed doubles league every other Wednesday at home, and and uh, I asked her if she if she would be interested in playing provincials just just to see how it goes, and uh, and she said yeah. So we so we uh, went and did that and, and kind of 
scrapped our way through through, uh, through the C event and provincials, and ended up coming out and winning provincials, and then and then we really went on a run in in nationals, and uh, once yeah we lost the final there, and uh, it really kind of kick started us, and we were we uh, just kept with it and and started playing a little more events and and uh really enjoyed it uh really enjoyed playing together and and uh just i don't know it's it's almost like it came naturally to us and 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 it's something that we can do together i really enjoy it is it something that you talk about at home too curling does it enter the the home or is it you, you try to separate work from home no, no, curling's 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 everywhere. <laughs> we're always talking curling. We're always we're always watching it. We're yeah, we're uh, definitely uh, very pro curling. We uh, we love love to talk about it. And, and before I let you go, the drive from Toronto to Sudbury, who drove? Yeah. <laughs> I I drove. Yeah, I drove. Uh, I think it was three and a half hours to get here. So yeah. Five five ten a.m. flight. Got into Toronto around eight thirty. Got the rental and straight straight out to Sudbury. Here. Early bedtime tonight. Potentially yes. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of tired. Yeah, I bet. All right, cool. Well, I'll let you go on that. Appreciate your time and best of luck this All week. Right. All right, thanks, Chris. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more. Every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We